Hey guys, welcome back to the Gymnazo podcast. I am your host today, Kalina Ruskin. I'm a senior coach, movement specialist, pelvic floor exercise specialist here at Gymnazo. And I am with the guru, the legend, the rope flow extraordinaire, uh, director of programming, <laughs> our coach's manager, uh, CJ Kobliska. What's happening, coach? Thanks um, for that intro. Of course. Today, we are talking about training the aging population, training older clients. Um, we, when we say older clients, what, uh, what do you think of? How old, how old are we talking here? Because we're going to get a lot of flack for putting, for putting old out there. Yeah. Originally, I thought like 50 was old. <laughs> now I'm going to say like 100. Well, nice. I think 100 is old. If you're not 100, you're still a kid. I love it. I love it. Um, so today we're going to kind of cover a couple different topics about training an, an aging population, what functional training means to them, how we train them, how traditional training has trained them and what they really, you know, what functional training looks like, um, for, for them. Welcome to the Gymnasio podcast, where you get to peek behind the curtains of what it takes to create and run a seven figure fitness facility that ranks in the top 5% of boutique fitness studios for revenue. But to be honest, that's the least important thing about us. Founded by me, Michael Hughes, Gymnasio has created an ecosystem of services that blend performance with restoration techniques and attracts top coaches to its facility. Hosted by its owners, Peyton and myself, and our top coaches, this podcast shares our best practices on everything from how to build a sustainable fitness business, to how to program for maximum results, to how to build a hybrid training module that's online and in person. We have marketing secrets, movement innovation, and breaking down trends in the industry. If you're a fitness professional or a fitness business owner, this is where you learn how to sharpen your skills and to see maximum results. What would you say, as we dive into this, to, to get us just kicked off here, what would you say are some generic, traditional methods of training an older population? Like, what do you think of what comes to mind, you know, when, when we see, I see commercials, you know, like for how to, how to exercise after 50, after 60. Oh man, there's a very distinct visual that came in. Uh, I see sitting in a chair, a bunch of lines looking at, towards the front of a room, in a very dry space, standing up, sitting down, standing up, sitting down. Raise your hands overhead, reach them to the side, sit back down, stand back up. Very boring, monotonous, functional, but um, not very dynamic and not very um, explosive at all. Very slow, very controlled, very safe, secure movement patterns. Um, and almost like a little bit of fear of doing anything else but that. That's what I imagine. That's what I originally learned it to be. Training in a pool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Water, training water aerobics, you mm -hmm. know, all, all that. Like, let's not have any impact training whatsoever. You know, we hear all the time, like, hey, guys, just don't get older. Don't, it hurts. Everything hurts when I age. You know, what do you, what do you say to that person who's like, you should stop training or stop doing things as you age? I'm going to go as hard as possible until I can't anymore. I, I think like, okay. If I hit 30, I'm good. If I hit 40, I'm still going hard. If I make it to 50, great. If I don't make it to 50, at least I lived a good life. Um, you know, push. Be excited. I think, I think my, uh, my view of aging has shifted since talking to individuals and working with them um, over the years. You know, uh, I took a, a geriatrics class in, at Cal Poly. And uh, it was like how to train older people. And that was like literally what it was called. And um, it was like, oh God, I don't want to get older. Like it scared me. Like this is what happens when you get older. And I had a complete 
um, complete idea that I didn't want to serve that population at all. And since working with people here at Gymnazo and seeing them actually get younger, you know, yeah. seeing them 60 or 70, even 80, 85 years old saying, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm moving better than I did 20 or 30 years ago. It's like, oh my, oh, there's, there's hope here. There's some, there's an opportunity to transform and get younger. Well, yeah, it's a great touch point. So when you saw, you know, when we think of these quote unquote traditional methods for training an aging population, it seems kind of boring. It seems very, very linear, very, like we said, safe and secure, but we know they still want to live their life. Like you don't, all you, you don't hit a certain age, all of a sudden you're like, sit down, don't do anything ever again. Like you still want to be able, we have such an amazing clientele who they continue to want to strive to accomplish things as they age. Uh, and they've viewed fitness in such a different capacity as they get older. It's, it becomes less about performance training, less about, I want to do as much weight as possible. I want to run as fast as I can and more about how can I just straight move better? How do we, and as the director of programming, especially for some of our, our G1 levels, which does work with a lot more of our, our older population or age demographic, you know, what goes into your thought process when you're training, when you're designing these programs? How are you, how are you designing it? Like, what do you have in mind? <laughs> That's such a fun question. Um, it comes from years of having conversations with people who are over the age of 50, 60, 70 years old in one-on-one and group settings. And um, what I've found is that they're very capable still. We may need to shift from performance in terms of like high impact into as fast as possible, as heavy and as quick, you know, as you can move. Um, and more so like searching for fluidity and availability for movement. So got to think about like, what does somebody at that age want to do? And there's so many different variables, you know, people like to travel. So you got to think about, okay, walking upstairs, downstairs, carrying stuff like a duffel bag or um, like your luggage. You got to put it in your overhead bin. You got to sit down in a tight space for a couple hours. You got to stand up. Um, Maybe you want to go and, you're enjoying your retirement and you're going to go snorkeling and you want to go on a boat and you want to be able to balance on something that's moving. Uh, you want to go on a hike and there's rocky surfaces. You want to go for a walk and there's cars around, people around. You got to react to your environment. Um, you want to go to Costco and pick up a 24 pack of water bottles. Maybe you got a dog and you got a cat. You got dog food, cat food you got to pick up and you don't want anybody to help you. You know, there's, you've got grandkids, you want to kick a soccer ball around, you want to throw a ball, you want to just be able to have fun doing your ADLs and not, um, you know, not feel depressed because you can't just bend over and put something in a dryer. You got to have a top load because you can't bend and put it in the front load. Those simple little things, you got dishes you got to put away. You got, there's so many little things that we do in our daily life that if we're not training for them. Um, intentionally, over time, we lose our ability to do them the way we want to do them or just have fun doing them. Now, we we don't look forward to just living our life because things hurt. And so we try to avoid it as long as possible. Um, yeah, I think, I think that kind of dives into that question a bit. But when I'm programming, I'm considering the body positions that I would love for our aging population to be able to visit, as simple as getting up off the ground getting down on the ground, yeah. carrying your grandbaby around while ha- having a conversation. Yeah. There's so many fun little things that um, if we can include that into programming, it opens up conversation. It opens up 
new options and novel experiences that I think as we age, no matter what age you are, we tend to avoid because we're afraid of hurting ourselves or we're afraid of failing. And as a kid, you know, somebody who's under the age of 30, we don't really think about those things. We just go do stuff. But once we start to, you know, uh, uh, get into the work environment, we got a full-time job, we got kids to take care of, we stop focusing on what we want to do and we start focusing on how we need to serve the people around us. And I think that adds up over time and we forget about how fun it is just to be because we're so much in our head about what we cannot do versus exploring what we can do. Yeah. I think so many of our members love coming here because, you know, the first thing they say is I had so much fun doing that. They don't feel like they're, they're really working out until the next day. And they're like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sore. I had no idea I was going to be that sore because mm-hmm. I just felt like I was moving and I was playing and I was able to do things that I wanted to do, play with my grandkids, you know, pick up, pick up that dog food bag from Costco. I could garden again without pain. And that is such like a, a life-changing event for them in so many different ways. Because again, you, they move away from the performance aspect. They're like, I don't need to be faster. I really don't care about, about sprinting. Right. I want to be able to go enjoy a hike or I want to be able to get up and down the stairs without pain. We've had so many awesome success stories with seeing people transition from um, pain and aging to pain-free and now enjoying movement all over again. It's a beautiful sight to see too. It's, you know, you seeing somebody come in for the first time, maybe they've never done a workout program, right? How many people have we seen come in that are over the age of 50, 60 that are like, yeah, it's been probably 10 to 15 years since I've done any kind of organized training or Mm -hmm. been part of a community that trains. I go for walks, Mm -hmm. I travel. Yeah. But if we don't add those, those extra little pieces, we tend to degenerate as opposed to regenerate, you know, Mm -hmm. and continue to build new neurons and feel more connected to our body. We tend to lose that. And all of a sudden we start losing our balance we start thinking, oh, no, I'm getting older versus, yeah, I'm getting wiser. Yeah. <laughs> Have you noticed cognitive function is not something that we always talk about or, or associate with fitness and the benefits of cognitive function with complex exercise? There's actually a really cool TED Talk about how movement training and complex exercise actually increases your brain uh, cognitive function. It keeps all the synapses firing as opposed to just walking on a treadmill or just doing, you know, something hmm. like a basic bicep curl or, or restricted equipment because that complexity of movement keeps everything firing. So actually even in women, they say it helps not eliminate, but it can delay the onset of things like dementia, which hmm. is huge later on. Cause you know, like how many times do we hear like, Oh my gosh, I'm not coordinated anymore. But all oh, of a sudden yeah. it, it takes just a little bit like, okay, we just have to practice this and then get into it. Or And then all of a sudden they're like, whoa, I can do that again. And it's pretty cool for them. Um, I did want to dive into a little bit of some, some typical exercise and training methodologies that you have for, for training specific, um, you know, your ADLs, your, your everyday, all day, all day activities. Yeah. It's, all, it's basically everyday, all day activities. Everyday activities. Yeah. Uh, everyday activities um, like getting up off the floor. That is something that as we age, we just don't want to do anymore. Hurts our knees, hurts our back. It's uncomfortable Mm -hmm. to get up and down. But if you have a grandbaby, you want to get up and down, you want to get on the floor and play with them. Getting up, getting down is the hardest part. How do you, where do you start with training somebody who says, I have chronic knee pain, but I want to be able to get up and down off the floor? It's such a fascinating thing to witness um, somebody from a kneeling position or a seated position that is not comfortable getting up off the floor and um, how they communicate to their body to get up. And so what I mean by that is somebody who's young, fit, active, 
they don't really think too much. They just do the stuff. You see somebody sit on the ground who's pretty active. They'll just kind of roll up like it was nothing. But you get somebody who hasn't been training for a decade or maybe never has intentionally, and you ask them to do that, they look for something to hold on to and to lift them up, and they struggle with it. And it's not that they're not strong enough. It's that they're, they're not able to communicate to their hands and their feet and their, essentially how their bones are stacking on each other to do the, the task efficiently. So what I see somebody do like from a one-sided kneeling position, let's say they're right kneeling, so their left foot's on the ground, their right knee is down, and I say, all right, stand up. What they try to do is go straight up. And they may not have the strength to go straight up because they haven't, they haven't required their body to do that. They've had something nearby that's been able to help them leverage, which I think is great. But I want them to have that availability so that when they do have something nearby, it's like a piece of cake. And when they don't have something nearby, maybe it's a little bit more work, but they're confident in their ability to do it. And so what I watch for is where their head goes over their foot. If they try to go straight up, there's no leverage. They try to drive off their back foot, and typically they're, so if they're right kneeling, their right knee and right quad are trying to fire to push them up, and they're not trying to root their left foot in the ground. But when I have them just say, hey, go ahead and drive your nose forward over your left foot and stand up, it's like a piece of cake. Mm-hmm. And it's because they've basically created this head over foot stability that creates leverage enough where now their bones say, all right, go vertical. And they're able to use that front foot to drive them upward. And so a lot of times if they're lacking that immediate attention um, to their head over foot position, I'll just have them do reps and reps and reps of that until they realize it's really easy to get off the ground. It's just they have to communicate to their body in such a way that gives them better leverage. Um, also from that, I mean, if you try to get up from a seated position, this is just kind of using the truth of, of how your body interacts with the forces around you. If you try to stand up from a seated position without moving your head forward, it's, I think it's impossible, actually. <laughs> you have to bring your head forward which then loads up your posterior chain and then you are able to pop up. Yeah. And so it's just kind of reintroducing these, um, these subconscious actions that we tend to lose as we age because we're not getting as many reps of that exact leverage. Um, so I try to, try to program in those specific, those specific little cues until it becomes subconscious. They're like, well, I can go into a kneeling position from standing and not feel like I'm gonna lose my balance. I can stand back up and I could be holding a load and just continuing to build that confidence back up until it becomes innate. You know, one more thing I do is, is that people complain about is their balance sucks. Like, oh, my balance is so horrible, right? Yeah. It's the same kind of thing. If you're standing up with a foot shoulder width position and you try to just balance on one leg and don't move your head, you're going to fall back down to that same foot. But if you shift your head over the leg that's going to balance and then lift your leg, your balance is almost kind of free. You're stacked. And so just bringing that awareness to those positions, starting to give the confidence back into those individuals, they go, wait a second, it's this easy. I just need to pay attention to how I'm doing stuff. It carries over to all other aspects of their training. And now there's less fear and it's more of a, how can I do this versus I can't do this. Yeah, exactly. I think that that was one of my favorite things that we had done in one of our coaches meeting was learning the balance dots. Um, that, you, that you've talked about. So we have one at the back of our head and then the top of each foot. So when you're standing and you're upright, you're kind of in a, I look at it as a triangle, right? You've got two feet grounded. Whether they're, whether they're like in a stride stance or whether they're hip width apart, you have that triangle. So you're a stable base. 
But if, like you said, if you go to balance on one foot, your head naturally is going to fall over to the foot that you're balancing on to stack those dots. You, it's like impossible. I love having people do this. <laughs> Try and keep your head in the middle and then balance on one foot and like not stack those dots. You can't. It's <laughs> so awkward with the body, you fall over. But even in gait, in our transition zones, when we walk, you're actually, that head's going to travel over the foot that you're loading onto to push you off into that next phase. We just don't realize it. And when we walk, you know, you're not saying, okay, ready, low TZ1, push off here, like load the next foot, the next foot, your body just does it. But when you get into an exercise setting and then people go into lunge and they don't shift that weight forward or they don't shift that weight laterally, whatever direction they're trying to go, all of a sudden they're unstable and they like can't do it or they can't load hmm. tissues. But if you just bring that awareness to your clients, all of a sudden they go, well, my, my knee pain away, went away with that lunge because I shifted my weight and I load my, I loaded hmm. my hip, I loaded my foot, I loaded my hamstring. And now I have that stability. It's been such a powerful tool for people because they can take that visual too of those dots or that shifting stability and they go apply it into the rest of their life. When they're walking upstairs, when they're walking downstairs, they feel more stable. I know one of the things that I fear for, for like my, not just myself, but like my grandparents and my older aunts and uncles. And even as, as we age, people are afraid of falling. That's like their number one fear because if you break a hip, that's life-altering, yeah. right? They don't want to fall. And uh, this is actually a great talking point to bring up next about balance because we had somebody call us out and say balance is overrated. Mm, <laughs> training stability work, don't even include it. Yeah, training no. stability is overrated. But yes, we say an aging population needs to be strong, strong through their hips, strong through their core. But how does balance and stability tie into strength training? And how do we tie mm. that in to our training? Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's an interesting concept too because as you're aging, you're you're more susceptible to osteoporosis. You know, you've you kind of have gone beyond your peak. So yeah, there's still some. As you age, you're going to lose performance, but it's kind of something we need to accept, but not to accept to the level of, yep, now I'm just on the road to not being able to do anything. It's like discovering new ways to do it. Our mindset is whole different when we're when we're younger. Is it's a lot more about performance and building up that bone mineral density and saying, I'm going to load my body, push my body and kind of hit that, that threshold. But, you know, thinking about what, what you want to do as you age, it's, it's really about sustaining your ability and sustaining your awareness and realizing that, yeah, there is potential to fall. I mean, we've, we've got, we've had countless members come through that said, yeah, I fell but I, I got back up or I've saved myself from falling. And I, I know time. that five years ago or a year ago, I never would have been able to save myself. Like that could have been detrimental. And that fear is very real. It inhibits your body's ability to uh, root, you know, your feet down, relax and settle into your hips. And so if we think about putting um, our aging population into a stride stance or into a wide foot stance or into a narrow foot stance or externally rotate or internally rotate and just expose our hips to those extension flexions, adduction, abduction, internal and external rotation positions, we don't have to do much more except move from those positions because proprioceptively, we're becoming more aware of when our hips are in this position, we have stability, we have a root, we're aware of where our head is over our foot. If all we're focusing on is just the strength principles and, and symmetrical loads and a lot of sagittal plane movements, what happens when we slide a little bit sideways or miss a step on a stair? Chances are we don't, either our body braces and the impact is going to be that much harder, or we, we search for something and then our body, like grab onto something or someone and hold. And then our body is even more fearful of falling because we almost fell. 
So the more we expose our aging population to some of these, what be maybe considered more dangerous positions or like stability focuses and less strength, the more they feel behaviorally more confident in their abilities. And we can add load and stuff into those positions, but it's certainly a, it's certainly a matter of, of exploring when does our body start to fight? When, our, when does our body start to brace? And if we do fall, do we have that foundational strength to come back to after the fall? Because the worst thing that could happen is not the fall. The worst thing that could happen is you don't have any training beforehand, you fall, and now you really don't move. And now the next five, 10 years, it's much different storyline because you're not, you're, now you're even more fearful because you don't want that to happen again. It could be worse. So those members that have come in and trained for a bit and they've fallen, they've got back up and they've come back stronger and more aware and more confident because they go, I fell, but I didn't injure myself. I bruised a hip. I was, you know, I couldn't really train heavily for two weeks, but look where I am today. Yeah. I'm able to heal, <laughs> right? Come back and move. What's been your experience with, with um, you know, people who have fallen or when somebody comes and go, I, I'm afraid to do that move you have me do. You know, like I'm afraid that that's going to hurt me because of what I've been told about either my age or what I know to be true about aging. Yeah, I I always I'm a I'm a relater. You know, mm-hmm. I want to I want to make them see and realize what they do in their day to day life. Like, by the way, you replicate this motion every time you do this. Um, so many people are afraid of rotation and loading and rotation. One of my favorite functional tools that we use in the facility is a sandbell because it's, it's not a rigid, solid weight, right? You got 20 pounds. If you pick up a 20 pound sandbell, it's, it's floppy and they have to adjust. It's not like it's picking up a 20 pound dumbbell. But when you have somebody who has grandkids or a dog, like even if it's a 12 pound sandbell, right? Like my, my mom has a 12 pound dog. <laughs> like mm-hmm. she got to pick that up and it, and it wobbles, but picking things up in rotation freaks people out. I, that's how I threw out my back last time. Okay, well, you, you know, your body only does what you teach it to. Oh, well, I, I picked it up with wrong form. Well, <laughs> you can say yes and no, but your spine is meant to extend and flex and rotate and do all of these motions. We have, we have that capability. We just haven't trained it to utilize those capabilities. So teaching somebody, I was like, when you go to pick up your dog or pick up your kid, how do you go to do that? Do you think about that? textbook rigid form. I've never seen anybody squat down to pick up their kid with like textbook form. <laughs> like your, your toddler comes running up to you and he's like, hold on, hold on. I got to set my feet. Square up. Brace. Root. Yeah. Brace. Or like, you know, you just bend over and pick them up. Right. Same thing. Like bending over in rotation, unloading the dishwasher, putting dishes away. You have to bend over and then put things away in rotation. Like most majority, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say like 99% of people don't do textbook squat, stand up, 90 degree pivot, and then <laughs> anterior press, anterior overhead press to put dishes away. I've seen a few robots do it that way, but. Oh, man, I don't know about you, but when I unload the dishwasher, I like put a plate in one arm and I'm stacking as many as I can. So I do as less trips as possible <laughs> to go back and forth. So throwing that into their training, dropping them down like, no, it's okay. Like you can, you do this every day. We just have to kind of relax, you know, tension is, and fear go hand in hand, right? We tense up when we're fearful. So getting them to actually like breathe through it, incorporating breathing into their training, it, oh, life-changing hmm. for them. They're like, oh my gosh, I can do this. I'm not going to hurt myself. And then you just build upon that. It's building such a confidence. We see that that fearful, I did this however many years ago and I hurt myself and I don't want to do it again. But if you build baby steps and you start with babies, like, and then you just remind them, like, hey, you remember you did this yesterday? Hey, remember you did this last week and you were totally good? 
Oh yeah, yeah, it was. Okay. All right, great. We're just going to build on that a little bit hmm. and building that confidence back up. And it's, it's life-changing for them to be able to realize that they can do all of these things that they didn't think they could do anymore or that they're not fearful of getting hurt because they're like, they know how strong they are. Yeah, I think it, it comes down to really knowing where you're at in space too. You mentioned tension. And I mean, we, we say this all the time, but you pay attention to your intention intention. <laughs> so, so like paying attention, just being aware of how your body is holding itself right now. I think as we age, we, are f- we feel less and less. We're unable to sense, you know, a hamstring or a glute or intentionally target a hip position to reach down. And it's less about, okay, I got to make sure I'm flexed. I have adduction and internal rotation to tweak in my hip so that my glute is loading. That's our job. Your job yeah. is simply to feel and then to act. And if you don't feel this tissue working when we're trying to intentionally, you know, just reach down and pick something up, are you intentionally bracing your leg and just letting your back, your lumbar spine bend over and do this? Or do you feel your foot pushing into the ground so that when you lift something up off the ground, as simple as a, you dropped your keys, it's light, but it's not about how much load, it's about mm-hmm. how your body's in that position. When you go to reach, do you feel your foot pushing in the ground as you pop back up? Or do you feel your foot is like, I'm lifting off my heel and I almost fell over bending to grab mm-hmm. something. So then every rep becomes um, either detrimental to your success because you're unaware of these things and then over time is now overuse injury or are you treating every rep every time you bend over for something to feel what you're doing right i think that's what's so important in our 3d movement there's a buzzword of functional training and three-dimensional training and planes of motion we utilize those tools you know to expose our sphere and where we're strong which is typically in front of us yeah as we age it gets stronger in front and we start to bend forward and like uh, somebody said my name behind me and we go to say hello, but you don't just turn your head. You turn your whole body. You do like the quick pitter patter and you're like, oh, hey, yeah, and you turn back yeah. around versus like take a rotational step, turn your head. Like that's a big rotational movement that I think we, we as a, as a, um, kind of fitness fear of just unaware of what's going on. We say, Hey, don't rotate versus like considering momentum and your tension in that momentum. Like, are you twisting too fast? And when was the last time you did that? Was it like three weeks ago, six mm-hmm. weeks ago? Or do you do that in your training every day where your body knows like, ah, I know what happens when I turn my head that way. Yeah. Or you're sitting in the car and you go to back up and you're like, oh, I kinked my neck. I can't turn now. I got to turn my whole body. And like, oh God, I don't want to rotate. You know, there's these little things that we don't, that we talk about, but I think isn't talked about generally. And people just kind of assume that that's part of aging. But we become so aware of it um, as we try to move laterally, try to move rotationally and invite that fear to become present so that we can work with it and pay attention to how we're intending to move through that tension and realizing, whoa, something kind of felt funky or hurt. Now, is your internal narrative saying, oh, it's because I'm aging, I'm getting old and that's just how it is? My knee pain is just because I'm getting older? Or is it because I haven't done anything like this recently? And our job as trainers, as coaches, as therapists, as doctors is to open this narrative and bring in um, you know, the beauty of experience and going, did you pay attention to that knee pain? It's not you. It's just, it's telling you something about maybe what we need to work towards. You know, there's progressions opportunity or progression opportunities versus saying, let's just not do that anymore. Let's avoid it. Yeah. The more we avoid stuff, the more fear we develop. I love it. <laughs> Give me, I want to hear, I want to hear one of your favorite success stories. You've been so successful with so many different clients over a vast different age group, but uh, one of my favorite questions that we get on the, on, on like our intake form, we ask people is it, it says, if you were pain free, what would you do tomorrow? 
Now, what's the first thing that you do? And take us through your favorite or, or one of your favorite success stories for somebody who came in that was older that had that was their thing. You're like, we're getting mm-hmm. you there. Yeah, there's, there's one individual, and I, I know you've worked with him as well. Um, gosh, I don't know how, how young he was, is, but uh, he definitely got younger as, as he progressed. But he came in walking with a cane, very stiff-legged. Um, ankles didn't move, knees didn't move. Big old smile on his face, like he really has enjoyed his life. And uh, he wanted to group, do group training. Yep. And our, you know, our entry level is pretty simple, but it still involves lunges, squats, pushes, pulls, locomotion, vertimotion to an extent, and lifting and reaching. And so when he walked in, I was like, man, this is going to be, this is going to take some work because you can't just jump in and do some lunges because his knees don't want to bend. He's walking with stilts. And, but he's, he's, you know, his attitude was like, I'm here. I want to be part of this group. And so he's like, I'm doing group training. Yeah. And I remember the first, like, maybe it was two or three months, always next to a wall or next to like a, something that was grounded and very sturdy or maybe a mobility stick, but even that was too dynamically, um, unstable because yeah. <laughs> it moves like, Oh, if I'm going over, it's going with me. It's like a long cane. So he did all six stations pretty much next to the wall. Yep. And, um, no, Every lunge looked like a forward step, like a baby's first step. It's like, oh, going to lose balance, really wobbly. And, you know, in, in a minute, maybe he got four steps forward. I was like, okay, just we just got to keep on this trend and keep this, keep this success. Didn't hurt himself today, didn't fall over, got really wobbly. I spent a lot of time next to him to make sure that he didn't fall over. And, you know, different swings and presses, it didn't look as quick or as um, fluid as other people in the class, but... He was like, I'm, I'm here to get better. So he was already very motivated, mm-hmm. which was nice. Um, a lot of people don't come in very motivated, and then they, they, they fall into their lack of ability versus learning ability. Mm-hmm. And after that time, he started to spend less time away from the wall, or more time away from the wall, less time next to it. Started to get down prone, started to add some contralateral movements with the, with the pulley system, you know, pulling one hand and stepping the other foot back and just building that coordination mm-hmm. that we have when we're walking, but for whatever reason, when we break it down into its parts, it's very confusing, right? You're trying to give a signal to your hands and your feet. And uh, did a few one-on-one sessions, did a few semi-private sessions, and then he started to lunge angularly, laterally, rotationally, with just a little less wobble. And I was like, well, this is so profound. Like, think about getting out of your car, and into your car and not even thinking about it instead of going, okay, I got to hold those shit bar. I got to hoist myself up. It's effortless. I sit back down. It's like, you don't even think about it now. How much more mental real estate you have, how much more fun you can have in your life. Like you become younger just by, um, emptying space in your, in your, in your brain of trying to think about, I don't want to fall. I got to hold on to stuff. And so I think in the course of, he was probably a member for what, two Three years, maybe? Yeah, he was he was a good 73 years young when he walked into our building. And I'm going to say walk lightly. He shuffled in because mm-hmm. he had so little stability, he couldn't actually lift up one foot at a time. He was a shuffler. And he was 73 years young, big smile on his face, and said, I haven't worked out in about 50 years since I got out of the Army. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, I was 25. <laughs> so he's Flying planes ever since. Yeah, and, you know, he's just still happy-go-lucky and... Uh, Man, that was that was an incredible transformation. Well, and then he got Vivo barefoot. So he was like, "I want to get in on this trend," and Man. I was like, "Hmm, that's actually pretty cool because like your feet are going to have way more communication with the ground 
just because there's no support in there. Mm-hmm. Now, your feet are going to get stronger. You're going to have sore ankles. Like his calves were sore, his feet were sore. And I was like, this is all kind of part of your body transitioning into a new level of function. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, he's moved away now, but over the course of those years, he was performing great in a, in a G1 level class. Yeah. Lifting loads in those lunges, swinging stuff around, throwing medicine balls, reacting. And it was like, there is room to progress at that age. It doesn't just stop and then you degenerate. You may regenerate slower. You know, it may take you longer to recover, but we need to keep accessing more availability in your motion and your movement patterns and see what can you do. Yeah. How about yourself? Do you have anybody specific in mind? And I, I, I love working with actually the, the, I want to say older loosely here, uh, <laughs> older population, people who are aging and they just don't feel capable anymore because it, I love that. I love that challenge of, I want to do this or this is what I wish I can do. And I go, Oh, I'm going to get you there. It's going to take, it's going to, might take a minute, but we're going to get you there. Um, recently, oh, had a client who had a surgery. She had a, had to have a tumor removed. Thankfully it was benign, nothing serious. Um, in her adductor and it caused post-op a ton of hip pain could not walk more than two miles and she was like I love it because she was part of that I'm gonna say little old lady crew she was part of that little old lady crew that does love them you know they do their walks around the neighborhood that's just their thing is their social hour they go get coffee they go for a hike we live in such an amazing area guys like with such great hiking and that's what she wanted to do and she couldn't do it and it was killing mm. her spirit. It was killing her everything, like mind, body, soul, because she couldn't walk and then not be in like chronic debilitating pain. So we took her through a, a one-on-one series, gave her homework, and pretty much what had, had ended up happening is that hip that she had surgery on, it stopped working correctly. Proprioceptively, tissues didn't want to load because for so long she had been in fear of using it because of pain from the incision site. And then she actually had muscle cut out to remove some of the tumor. Hmm. So the whole tissue, all the whole tissue structure and the whole hip structure is just different. It's not working the way that it's supposed to. So we had to do a lot of proprioceptive retraining to get her hip to pull through and to load. Like when we talked about that transitioning, the loading into the, the rooting the foot into the floor to push you into the next phase, she wasn't getting that load to push. And so she was getting this chronic joint pain because it was, it was like sinking into a sling, a hammock. Like there was just no tissue tension and it's just like, you know, Chinese water torture. It's just boom, mm. boom, dot after dot. So, you know, she goes for a two mile walk. That's a lot of steps. That's a lot of, that's a lot of drops that, that hit. And retrained it, had her do some homework. Man, I wish we could have taken a picture of the smile on her face when she came back and was like, Kalina, I did a four-mile walk at a power walk pace, and I had no pain. And it was awesome. And then it Transformational. Just, oh, man, and it just went off from there. And, you know, it took a couple months. It, it doesn't. It's not always a quick fix. Sometimes you hit the right spots. Sometimes you hit setbacks, and uh, or sometimes you find progress, and then... They tried to do too much when they're not ready for it yet. <laughs> it's what it's usually part of the happens. process, though. It's good to experience that, right? It you is. You know. It is. Limit. And if you've never been in chronic pain before, it is. it can be debilitating. Like, you know, because it's all you think about, because it's all you feel. It's the first thing you feel when you wake up. It's the last thing you feel when you go to bed, and it's it's debilitating. So to, to take somebody out of that stage where they get to enjoy the little things all over again has been awesome. Awesome. So that's one of my, um, one of my favorite, favorite success stories. Can I, I want to bring something up too, because this is, you know, we're saying like, you know, aging population and primarily like over 60 and we're just giving it an arbitrary number. Like yeah. aging starts. 
every day. When you're born, you know, <laughs> and you're like, ah, oh, you know, you're thinking about it. But yeah. then there comes a point, and I think it's around like your 30s, some people in their early 20s, and it, it could be a debilitating injury that kind of sets you like, okay, I got to be a little bit more careful. Or I've got kids, I got to be a little more careful. I can't go do that backflip on the snowboard again and break <laughs> all my bones. It, I think it's, it's a process. And for everybody, it's different. And it is chronological. Like you are having more revolutions around the sun and you're like, okay, I'm approaching now a point where I have to question what I'm doing. Yeah. But I think it really starts when you, when you wake up and you're like, Ooh, my back kind of feels achy. And then what's the first thought you have is like, okay, I'm getting older. And then that just kind of starts this trickle effect of like, either I can't do this, I can't do this, or you recognize what you need to be shifting in your training so that you don't damage yourself, which I think is a very smart way to go to recognize your biological aging and your, your mental aging, right? Yeah. But I think there's so many things that kind of build up in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s that you hit a point where you're like, this is just how life is. And it, a lot of it comes down to the accountability and the community you're a part of. Mm -hmm. And if you're seeing other people going through similar processes, you just assume that this is the path now. And you're going to keep coming down the stairs. And now you need to move to a place that doesn't have stairs. And now you need to do things that don't involve you um, being on a rocky surface. Mm -hmm. And you need to have more support in your shoes. And you're like, this is how it needs to go. But I think what's so cool about uh, recognizing those things is going, like I'm going to use an example of a, of a member that I'm, I'm working with right now who she couldn't put deodorant on under her right armpit. Yep. She went to her, lift her right arm. She's like, I have to like rub. And my, like, just, I have to keep my right arm down and rub. I can't like lift my right arm up and, and I was like, that's such a, that's such a rough experience. Then every day you're reminded of your aging, but it's not your aging. It's your shoulders, lack of ability to use your thoracic spine and your hips. Like there's mm -hmm. something not communicating. And, you know, in a, in a few months time, we kind of went through a days that were really good. She could lift her arm up overhead and other days where it was like, oh, it's really hurting me to lift. And it, we have to understand that we can't just go up. If we keep going up in terms of progressions, in terms of load or faster or just availability, at some point we're going to hit a plateau and then either just flatten out and go, okay, I'm not motivated anymore, or you drop back down because you went too fast too soon or too far too soon. So we need to understand that the path is two steps forward, one step back. Sometimes it's five steps forward for three days in a row and you're like, I'm good. And then you go push it and you're like, oh God, I'm back to square one. But what's so beautiful about the process in aging is that you go through more experiences. You become wiser of what you, how your body's experiencing these things. And then you've got a coach that can communicate to you and, and listen to you of, of what, you're, what you're experiencing, and we're going to work with you this day. What are you capable of this day? And over time, you're going to, in the end, look back and go, wow, I've had like three, four consecutive months where I just feel good, as opposed to every other day sucks. It's just in pain. And to have that shift, it creates a whole other personality. Like you become less fearful. There's less anger and frustration with yourself. And then that carries out to the, your community and the people that you're around, the family members, your friends. And now you can go do the things you want to do. Yeah. You're not being reminded of your degeneration. You're being reminded of your power to regenerate and your power to get better and to continue to age successfully. Absolutely. Functionally. I love the saying, you know, I'm as old as I've ever been and I'm as young as I'll ever be. Oh man! Wow! You, right? You got that's. It's, I'm not getting any younger, so I got to keep moving and doing what I can until I can't. And then I have to modify. Doesn't I want to give you. I want to give you some props too. You're working with a gentleman that I've seen. I tell him he's got the Benjamin Button effect. Every time I see him, I'm like, "How do you? How do you keep getting younger, man? Like I just saw you, like from square one, which is like can't step forward without losing balance can't step backwards without you can't step backwards you can't step yeah. sideways it's like this is miserable 
but I see growth. And I saw him the other day walking down a from a like, you know a three foot box, stepping down on a dorsi flexed wedge or a plantar flexed wedge with a viper in his hands, and he did a sidestep coming down. I was like, damn man, I want to see you on the mountains soon. You. You're just crushing it. Like, this is stuff I would give my people who are 20s and 30s. I know. He loves it. You're like it. 60, yeah. It's great because you see his face. You tell him, by the way, this is what you're going to do. And they look at you like, oh, you're fucking crazy. <laughs> like, no way. You're going to do what? We're going to start small. We're going to start small. But, you know, Tim, I say, do you carry groceries in and out of the house? Yeah. Guess what? This is carrying an offset load of groceries in and out of the house, down down the stairs, because you got to go up the stairs, down the stairs. Like, you, you got to do it. He goes... All right. And then you'll pick up a wine shipment. That's going to be some asymmetric load. Exactly. (laughs) For sure. A wine shipment. (laughs) What advice and would you give trainer? What advice would you give trainers who are working with an older population that maybe haven't before? It's very different training a 25 year old who wants athletic or performance gains versus training a 70 year old who just wants to move better, who wants to get up and down the stairs, who wants to be able to get in and out of their car. What advice do you have for them, for those trainers? And what do you think are some good like starting points to focus on? Number one is opening the conversation of Know where your know where your athlete, your client is on that on that day that they come in, that day one. What is it that they want to do? If they if it's a pain thing, um, what would they do if they're not in pain? You know, if like, they got knee pain and they want to go for walks, or they want to be able to squat and do yard work, whatever that that thing is they want to do. Understand those positions and um, understand when they're in pain. And if it's not a, really a pain thing, it's more of a fear thing, and they just need to build confidence. Like they're afraid to do something, like maybe to jump or they like to uh, ski or snowboard or something, but they've avoided it now because they're afraid of falling. How can you incorporate some of that balanced stuff that feels like boarding where they um, they feel more confident? Just know where your client is. I think that's most important versus pushing something on them right away. That way they know that um, you know what they, what they would like to do or what they see. And a lot of times they don't have an answer for that. So, um, you know, they may just like, I just, I just want to feel better. I don't want to be afraid of falling. Or they might have a story about a friend or a family member who's gone through something. And so understanding that is so important behaviorally because now when you introduce something that looks like that or feels like that, it might bring up feelings of fear, um, resentment towards their aging or towards training in general, or it might expose the pain that they're in. And as soon as you recognize those things, tell them it's going to be okay. Like I see, I see where you are. Like we know a starting point. And take note of that so that when you go to introduce movements that um, maybe what they want to do, like if they want to go hike, think about hiking. It needs to be uphill, downhill, or maybe on an une- uneven surface. Start to bring in just foundational stuff in those positions. I think knowing the position that they want to be able to access and what actions, if it's a lunge, a squat, a push, a pull, is it from the ground? Is it carrying something? You know, get to know what their daily life is like. It's going to give you a better picture of where to take them. And you're going to have a much better conversation and relationship um, in that process because you'll know where they started and they'll, they'll know where they started and where they're going. So that every month, every few weeks, they'll look back and go like, oh, like I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting better or I'm going more towards a path that I want to be. So if there's lack of alignment of where they see themselves, and where they are, which is, I think, most of the case. Like, they think back to their their glory days. I used to be able to throw a football a quarter mile kind of thing, you know. I have access to these things. Now I don't. What's going on? 
Start to bring them and introduce those things on initial range of motions, then medium range of motions, and then gradually add some more momentum or speed to them. Because I think a lot of times, you know, fearful of rotation, I can't rotate. Well, we can all rotate if we're walking, and maybe we're walking slow. And so we need to gradually bring more and more momentum to test their ability to stay rooted and stabilize. I think that's number one thing is you want to expose the fear of maybe falling or where their thresholds are and there's fear. So you want to know, can they move forward? Can they move backwards? Can they move sideways? And can they move rotationally? If we have that foundation, now we can start to expand upon it and trust that reps and consistency will continue to breed results. If we think that we're going to get results in two or three days, that it's probably an unlikely expectation um, or unreal expectation. But if we think about every four weeks or something, meeting with them once or twice a week, giving them stuff to do at home, we're going to see progress. Trust the reps, trust the consistency. Um, and I want to give one example of what I mean by this is I got a guy who's come in. Um, he was a professor. He was a professor and was standing a lot while he was teaching. And he did this for years and then retired. And what, what happened to his daily life and routine? He stopped standing. He started to sit more. Then his hip started to hurt. Then his knee started to hurt. And he had an ankle reconstruction, both knees, a hip redone, and a shoulder redone in the matter of 10 years. Shit, we haven't done very much in those years. Yeah. It's a lot of recovery. And as we age, it's a little bit longer to heal and recover. And we tend to become more fearful. Or our body says, no, you can't do these things now because we're very aware of these joints that are, we're in pain and we don't want it to happen again. So you start simple. What can you do today? And let's just continue to push that envelope a little bit. Expand that, that box of, or that threshold of function. If you can take a step two feet in front of you, well, hey, let's maybe step a little bit higher two feet in front of us. And now let's step lower two feet in front of us. Now let's take away the height and maybe let's step three feet, maybe two and a half feet. And it's like baby steps, but those small wins build up to become big wins. Um, but definitely open the conversation. What does your client athlete want to do if they were not in pain or if they were to be younger? Yeah. I think one thing that you you talked a lot about like strategies and techniques and variables for, for extra exercises, but one thing you didn't touch on that you're so good at and that I think we do such a good job of is the mental behavioral side of working with older clients and making it feel like play. Hmm. You know, we talked about the glory days. I love giving some of those clients when I talk to them, you get to know them a little bit better. What did you do growing up? What sports did you play? And trickling in some of those old exercises, maybe not at the speed that they used to be, maybe not at the, the dynamic movement that it used to be, but trickling some of that back in so that they leave and they, they have this smile on their face like, man, I haven't done that in years. And that felt fun. And it didn't feel like this monotonous physical therapy, sit down, don't move a muscle, you know, regimented exercise. It <laughs> feels fun for them because it lifts their spirit and it, it, it becomes such like a fun thing to do. So they look forward to coming and exercising and they come forward, you know, they're not pushing performance, but they're coming, they're moving their bodies. And we know that that is bigger than anything. Sitting is the new smoking. Kills you faster <laughs> than smoking, than heart disease, than it's diabetes combined. I love so, sitting though. <laughs> so movement is so, so good for us as we continue to age. It doesn't have to be at the capacity that it used to, but it needs to be at some moderate level and something that's that's going to be fun because nobody i mean nobody wants to do something that's not fun you can't stick with it you lose clients they don't want to come back if it's not fun oh one study i know we got we're running out of time but do there's it. one study 
Um, I'm going to kind of butcher all the things that happened in it, but go check it out. Essentially, they had these people living in a like a retirement community or just essentially they were like 65 and over. And they you know, they were like assisted living, actually. So not retirement, but it was assisted living. And they did the study where they like put everybody into um, this room for a few hours and played music of the times when they were younger. They put in like old telephones and just like colors and pictures and imagery and stuff that reminded them of their glory days. So let's say yeah. that their twenties and thirties. And in the study, I don't know how long it was, but they looked at like fingernail length or finger finger length, actually not fingernails. And like, they found that these, uh, these people's fingers started to grow longer their mental state started to get better. They were putting their canes down and they were dancing and they were playing catch. And it was all about the environment that was around them that helped set them up and remind them of what they were once able to do. Oh, I love that. And simply by by bringing in just, um, you know, sounds and smells and sights of the time when they were able to do something, it was some kind of recall within them that they're biologic they biologically got younger hell yeah and so and that's what we see in here is like we play some old tunes that funky fridays funky friday yeah stuff that's it's like the good music from the 70s and 80s and stuff from the 90s and you see 60s, just people 60s and 70s cj <laughs> i was hoping you'd pick the up on that 80s Come yeah on. man what a time i wasn't even around that guys but uh but simply like having those tunes and, and bringing up those stories creates an environment where they feel not super old. They don't yeah. feel like like they like they were just um, you know in their head and and fearful. They kind of just let go a little bit. And if we can invite that play and invite the sounds and ask them about themselves and their stories, seeing their body shift is not just through the training, the movement. It's through the experience and that that behavioral side of it that simply brings out the the best in them. Last question. <laughs> For, for trainers, you can steal this one too. What do you tell a client who says, I'm too old? I can't wow. do that anymore. I'm too old. <laughs> my, my natural reaction is just a smile and laugh. Because <laughs> like I said, now I consider like 100. Like if you're under 100, you're still a kid. You still, you're still learning about the world. Like you're still learning about the world until the day that you pass. And then, you're, then you, you still are learning, I think. Um, and so I, if somebody said, I'm too old, and it's like, I'm going to have them like jump on a box. I think that's the most common. It's like, I'm going to have them jump on a 12-inch box. Now, I'm not going to start them there, but I'm going to have them step up, step up on it. If they see that they're capable of it and they say that I'm too old, that they're too old, I'm going to say, well, show me that you're too old. <laughs> and they're like, huh. <laughs> okay. And then the, most of the time, I'm going to set them up for success. Sometimes I want to see them fail just so that they, like, in such a good, positive way of, like, this is where we are, and I'm going to make you be able to do this eventually. Yeah. But I want to always start with success. And if they, they, almost always, they'll say something like that, and then they'll do it, and they're going to be like, huh, I thought I was too old to do this. I'm doing it. And usually it's, and then it starts a conversation about, well, I've been told that I shouldn't be doing this or shouldn't be doing that. I was like, well, what do you want to be able to do? And do you believe that you have the ability to get stronger? And I want to shift that conversation as as much as possible. And if they say I'm too old, well, what does that mean? What do you mean you're too old? Like, do you feel incapable? Are you fearful? Are you, um, is it hurt? You know, like what what is that definition to them? Because I think for every person it's different. For some people, it's just a chrono chronological thing. Like I am this number and now I'm too old. 
or now I am old. And yeah. I think people have that number. And a lot of time that ties into um, their biological side. If they believe that they're old, um, their body's going to believe that they're old. And then also mentally, that's what they're telling themselves. That's the personality or their, their reality is that I'm now old and I cannot do. But I want that, I want that to shift to I am old and take pride in that. I mean, that might change when I'm that age. I don't know. But from what I've learned I is that like, I, I tell everybody, like, you know, they see me doing like performance stuff or crazy stuff. And they're like, oh, I'll just wait till you're my age. I'm like, yeah, you wait till I'm your age. <laughs> we'll see about challenge this. Challenge accepted. And I think just opening that, that kind of challenge creates an opportunity for growth. Love what it. What'd you say? Love it. Uh, I will prove you otherwise. Oh, I'm man. I'm too old. So we'll see. We'll see. I'll get you there. I'll get you there. Um, Guys, thanks for listening this afternoon, this evening, whenever you're, whenever you're cruising, listening to this. Uh, if you have more questions, you want to know how we train an aging population, our methodologies, our strategies, our principles, our techniques, uh, check us out on social media, on Instagram, at gymnasio.edu. Follow our individual Instagram pages, Facebook, Next Generation Trainer, gymnasio.edu, MDMC. Learn all about what we got going on here and why we have such an awesome, awesome clientele, how they're so successful and how we continue to train an aging population. Thanks for joining us. Stay curious. Keep exploring. Hey, y'all. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, please share it with your fitness-obsessed friends and peers who are also navigating this world of fitness and trying to succeed to the trends and misinformation. As you guys can see, this podcast is basically a masterclass for trainers wanting to level up in their coaching skills and their fitness business model. Relaunches in 2020 because you and your fitness tribe deserve to see an unfiltered look at all the aspects of what it takes to stand out as a next generation coach and build a successful fitness business. So share it far and wide. And please, when you do, do me a favor, take a screenshot of this screen and share it to your social media accounts and use the hashtag gymnasio podcast. That's hashtag gymnasio podcast. That way we can see you and share your post with our audience. And finally, when you're ready to go to the next level as a coach or in your business and to reach more people, please go check out gymnasioedu.com. We have put together the best 90-day coaching program on the market for trainers wanting to become a masterful practitioner and build a business that gives them the freedom and impact. So let us help you do just that. We have online training and one-on-one coaching to guide you through a full 90-day certification. We even get you training our clients live because it's always better to work out your kinks on someone else's clients than yours. But we promise you this, your clients will be blown away by the transformation our program will help you make. You'll be masterful at a whole new level and part of an incredible community of coaches worldwide taking their skills to the next level. So if you thought today's episode had some fire to it, and inspired you to take action, wait until you see what we deliver on this program. So just go to gymnasioedu.com and we'll see you on the other side. Remember that turning your passion for fitness into transformation and sustainable business is critical to reaching the people and lives you were put on earth to help. It matters and truly can make an impact in other people's lives. So I hope you do that. Keep sharing your passion and we'll talk to you soon.